Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Is that your prayer tonight? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. The only way we can be a sanctuary if, is if we allow the Lord to prepare us. Amen. We can't do it on our own. Amen. You may be seated. So glad that you were able to make it out on this Thursday evening. I'm sure you, we all have busy lives, have a lot of things going on, but you've made it to the house of God. Amen. You made priority to be in the house of God, and um, God is taking note of that. Amen. As you can see, we're a little thin tonight. We have, we have a group out in St. Louis, Missouri at North American Youth Congress 2019. They are a part of 37,000 people that have convened together. They used to have these uh, conferences in basketball arenas and convention centers, and now they're having them in football arenas because the, the, the number keeps growing and growing and growing. So let's, uh, let's keep them in prayer that God will be with them and that they'll get a touch from the Lord and that they'll, get, that they'll come back changed, especially the, the young people, they'll come back changed and refreshed and renewed and, and ready to do some great things in, this, in the cities of Radcliffe and Louisville. Amen? Amen. And let's pray for them to have a safe trip back to Radcliffe on Saturday, Saturday um, evening, or sometime on Saturday, they'll be back. Amen. So we're going to continue our series that we have uh, started the last, that's been going on the last three weeks, and we're going to do a lesson four today. Everybody says, hate the things that God hates. Amen. Hate the things that God hates. You know, there's a lot of hate in this world. And apparently if God hates something, then, you know, hate isn't necessarily wrong, but it has to be geared toward the right things. You know, there's a lot of hate in this world. and There's a lot of people that hate each other. Um, that's one thing that God doesn't hate. God doesn't hate any of us regardless of what we do or the sins that we've done or regardless of how checkered our past history is, God loves us just as much. Amen? But there's a lot of hate, but we have to direct our hate toward the wrong thing. So let's look at the book of Proverbs like we have been doing. Proverbs chapter 6, and we'll start at verse 16. And before we start, let's just, let's just pray just, just real quick. Let's just pray, and then, then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done, Lord. And again, we pray that you will bless this uh, service tonight. We pray that you will be done. We pray, Lord, that somebody will get something out of this and your anointing will be in this house today. And we thank you in advance, Lord, for speaking to somebody's life and for touching somebody's life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. It says this, These things doth the Lord hate, Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Among brethren. That's, those are the things that the Lord doth hate. So we will understand that God is a God of unsurpassable love. We must understand that. Just like I kind of alluded to earlier, God loves everybody regardless of what you have done either now or, or 20 years ago. He still loves you. But because you love um, people, right, you have to do what's best for them. Is that correct? Correct? Sometimes those actions, because you're doing it out of love, it doesn't always look like love to us, right? Is, you know, whenever, something, whenever somebody does something to us that we may need, but it hurts, we, we don't always feel that love right away. Sometimes we get it later on down the road, but in the moment, it doesn't always look like what it is. So the love that God has for us demands that he must be just in his dealings with us. He must be just. You know, it can't be all flower and roses all the time, right? It can't be all, you know, great all the time. You know, God, you know, if, if we do something that's not right, then we must suffer the consequences for that. God must allow us to go through certain things. Even if we are, you know, living a great godly life and we're abstaining from those things that the Lord hates, sometimes he still lets us go through things in order, in order to help us to grow. He has to, he has to allow us to go through certain things. So 
In being just, there are things, in being just, God is a just God, so there are things which God does hate. And while he does not hate individuals, he does hate the actions, attitudes, and the spirits that acquire and manifest. So if we are going to live a God-centered life and be fulfilled, then we must not only love what God loves, but we also must hate those things which God does hate. So God has a clear message for us today. Your first blank there is Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Does everybody have a handout that wants one? Does any, or does anybody need one? Let's put it that way. Everybody's good. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Hate that, or hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You know, the world has that flip-flop. The world clings to what is evil, and a lot of times they may hate what is good, especially according what the what the Bible calls good. They it seems like they hate that. So before we look at the sins that we just read in Proverbs, let's first look at how this passage begins. So Proverbs chapter 9, verse 16 states, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. It is easy to count the list and find seven things. So why does it even mention there are six things the Lord hates? Anybody ever ask that question? Two people. No, that's okay. You may ask it now because maybe you never realized it. So first of all, the number seven that we see in this text throughout the Bible does not indicate perfection but completeness. The number seven indicates completeness. In other words, God has a complete hatred of these things. Those things that, the, that, that are listed that God hates, he, he has a complete, a complete hatred for those things. So they are things that reveal the complete depravity of humans and the total lack of godliness. And then you may ask yourself, why does God hate these specific things? To answer that question, you must never forget that humanity was his crowning creation. Humanity was his crowning creation. It is the creation into which he breathed the breath of life. Regardless of what you th may think of yourself, you are God's crowning creation. We are the one creation that he willingly laid his life down for. Everybody in this room. So therefore, he hates these, these things because of what happens when they enter the lives of his children. He knows that the incredible damage that can be done to us by these types of sins. So we were intended to love and serve God. When these types of sins enter into our lives, then God's plan and purpose is perverted. That's why the devil works so hard against each and every one of us in this room tonight. So we must avoid these things if we hope to be pleasing to God. If we hope to be pleasing to God, we must learn to hate those things that God hates. It's okay to hate the things that God hates. It's okay to have that kind of hate. It's okay to hate sin. It's okay, it's okay to say no to sin, or it's okay, to, it's okay to say I hate sin. Amen? So let's talk about the things that are listed in that verse the first thing that's listed in that verse is a proud look. A proud look. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction. Pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before a fall. And pride is the basis of all other sins. That's why it's listed first in that scripture. Pride is the basis of all their sins. I don't know about you, but I can't be around somebody that, that's really into themselves for, that, for a, very, a very long period of time. I can't do it. Um, you know, and, uh, you know it's just, it's, to me, it's just a turn off. And, and, or somebody just has so much pride, it's, it's just hard for me to be around somebody like that for a very, very long time. And, you know, pride, it can cause men or women to turn away from God. You know, pride is the, is the reason why a lot of, of marriages don't work. 
you know, because they never want to let down their, that guard and, and make, them, make themselves vulnerable. I, I, I heard something on the, uh, on the radio one time, and it said, you know, that thing that you may argue with your spouse about, is it really going to matter 30 years from now? If it's not going to matter 30 years from now, how about you just drop it? <laughs> you know, just move on. Because sometimes the littlest things, we can, get, we can make it a big deal, right? We can make it a big deal, and, and, and we can not talk to our spouse for days. Not that Jessica and I have gone through that. Just, so I'm just saying, um, <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically, we have uh, bickered about little things. Because, you know, you can look in your rearview mirror and be like, man, really? I wasted my time on that. But unfortunately, pride uh, destroys not just marriages, but a lot of relationships, Pride is the beginning of rebellion, and pride is the basis of disobedience. The word pride literally means to bring up or exalt self, to be haughty, to be presumptuous. I'll say that again because I see a lot of you scrambling. (laughs) The word pride literally means to bring up or exalt self, to be haughty, to be presumptuous. A proud look is the idea that we are better than others. You know, it's only because of God that we're still living. It's not because of us. It's only because of God that we're blessed, or it's only because of God that we have anything in this life. It's not because of our accomplishments or how great we are. God can just snatch us up and take us away whenever he wants to. Whenever he, he doesn't need us. We're, we're blessed to, that he loves us the way that he does or that he wants us the way that he does. During the battle of the wilderness in the Civil War, Union General John Sedwick was inspecting his troops. At one point, he came to a wall over which he gazed out in the direction of the enemy. His officers suggested that this was unwise and perhaps he ought to duck while passing this wall. Nonsense, snapped the general. They, could hit an, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. He didn't even finish that word, distance. A moment later, Sedwick fell to the ground, fatally wounded. It was his attitude that was shown by the Pharisee. It was, I'm sorry, it was this attitude that was shown by the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You can uh, read that later. And it was this same attitude that Lucifer... Uh, displayed in which he lost his position in heaven because of pride. That's, that's, that's the origination of pride right there with Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 15, it says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. This is Lucifer talking. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountains. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Notice he got to his position before, he, before pride ever entered into his life. So the key to, to, the key to moving up in God is to keep yourself low, not to try to make yourself high. Let God take care of that. So it was the attitude of pride that drove Satan to try to lift himself up above all else, including God. You know, Satan, he had marvelous, um, or Lucifer at the time, he had marvelous um, talent when it came to music. Marvelous talent. He was basically, essentially the choir director in heaven. But his talent got to his head, and he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like the most high. God was already the most high, so how can you be, you know, the most high? Um, and, and I, you know, his ego pretty much got him kicked out of heaven. And I, I heard a saying before that ego stood for edging God out, edging God out. And it's, it's the, it's ego and pride that, that causes us to move away from God. So pride says in its own way, I want to be equal with God. I want to be equal with God. Or to God. So there is a proper response to pride. The remedy from Scripture is very simple counter pride with an opposite and more powerful virtue. That virtue would be humility. 
How can we gain humility in our lives? Confess to being proud and repent. Pastor always says it. If you say you're, you're humble, if you say you're not proud, you, that's probably an indication that you are proud. And then number two, don't take yourself too seriously. There's some people you got to walk around eggshells because, man, if you say a little joke or something like that, woo, you don't set off a something. <laughs> man. So confess to being proud and repent and don't take yourself too seriously. Don't be afraid to make yourself vulnerable. Not to just anybody, but don't, definitely don't be afraid to make yourself vulnerable to somebody. When Harry Truman was thrust into the presidency by the death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Sam Rayburn took him aside. From here on out, you're going to have lots of people around you. They'll try to put a wall around you and cut, off, cut you off from any ideas but theirs. They'll tell you what a great man you are, Harry, but you and I both know you ain't. And I quote. <laughs> so, number three, compare yourself upwards, not downwards, or not outwards. Compare yourself upwards. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. It's easy to talk about somebody in a negative way, but it takes effort to talk about somebody positively. Amen? Amen? That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. We have to really try. Always remember the words of James chapter 4. Verse 6, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I don't know about you, but I want God's, I need God's grace, and I want God's grace. Number two says, the number two sin that God doth hate is a lying tongue. A lying tongue. The word tongue comes from the Hebrew word lashon. And that's how you say it because I have a pronunciation in here. <laughs> that's not a wild guess. Lashon. It means evil speaker. Evil speaker. The tongue as a fork of flame. The tongue is the most dangerous thing in the whole world. Everybody knows that saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words that never hurt me, that's a lie from the, from the pits of hell. Lie from the pits of hell. I'm sure you've been hurt by words before, and I've been hurt by words. We've all been hurt by words before at one point or another. And man, it hurts. Sometimes I'd rather get hit by a stick or a stone because it heals quicker, right? <laughs> don't, don't, nobody try that. <laughs> Instead of talking about you, I'm going to throw a stone at you. <laughs> so he knew that words were capable of more damage than all the armies in the world. How many people have ended their life because of words that were told to them? from people that really meant something to them. How many people have done that? Words are powerful. They, they carry a lot of weight, especially if it's the right person. Perhaps the best instruction concerning the tongue comes from the book of James. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a road of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and, it, and is itself set on fire by hell. And I'm sure some of us, because of what we've said, we've tried to put that fire out. And sometimes it, we cause fires by what we say, and we weren't trying to cause a fire. It was just taken that way. And there's a, a fire that sparked, and now we've got to try to put it out. But words definitely are powerful. The book, The Day America Told the Truth, says that 91% of those sur surveyed lie routinely about matters they consider trivial, and 36% lie about important matters, 86% lie regularly to parents, 75% to friends, 73% to siblings, and 69% to spouses. 
It's a lot of lying. A lying tongue can hinder our blessing from God. It can hinder our blessing from God. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 8. You can turn your Bibles to there. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 8. It's on the screen. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But get this. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity they, and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are the works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands." Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Shall not know peace. Some of, some of us, we may be struggling with stuff, and we may find it hard for us to pray. Maybe because you feel like God isn't hearing your prayers because of, what you're, because of the thing that you're continually struggling or, or doing. Amen? So Israel found themselves in a place of desiring the blessings of the Lord and not understanding why they had been removed from them. They were desiring the blessings, but the blessings had been removed from them. They didn't understand why. Israel declares that it is not because God's arm has been shortened or his ear is no longer able to hear, but because of their iniquity, they have lost the blessing. Because of sin, they have lost the blessing. The remainder of the passage shows us that they were guilty of hatching cockatrice eggs. This hatching of cockatrice eggs refers to a sin of the tongue, namely backbiting and gossip, backbiting and gossip. God's dealing with Israel is a strong warning to us as how to view God's sins of the tongue. God takes our tongue very seriously. He takes what we say on a daily basis very seriously. We're going to be held accountable for the words, for every idle word, the Bible says, for every idle word that we speak. So with the tongue, we either unify or divide. It's one or the other. We either unify or divide. James chapter 3, verse 2, it says that, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. That's James 3, 2. And then Isaiah chapter 59, verses 14 through 15, it says, So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and, who, who, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. You know, lying is like a... Um, a snowball. The longer it rolls, the bigger it gets, the bigger the lie gets. Amen? And so it's better just to get it out there. You know, that's it's a part of humbling yourself, right? You just get it out there, whatever it is. And, and, and the, that's, the, that's the thing with the devil. He doesn't want you to say anything. He doesn't want you to say anything about what you're struggling with. He wants you to keep it inside so that way you'll keep on doing it. You'll, you'll try to fight it on your own, but you can't fight it on your own. The Bible says, um, it, it, I'm paraphrasing, but if you confess your sins, confess your sins, you shall be healed, right? You got to confess your faults one to another. You know, you, you see David, and there's all kinds of people in the Bible who had faults. 
you're not you're not different, or you're you're not going to be looked. You shouldn't be looked at as as mean or bad or whatever. If you have a fault, it's it, I mean it, you're, you're human, and, and God gives you a way of escape by confessing it, letting it out. That way you can be healed. Amen. The third thing that God hates: hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. This is a topic that can be con- controversial to many today. Mainly due because of, of, of war. Because, they, you know, sometimes in the line of fire, innocent people get killed, right? People that had nothing to do with anything. William Bennett, in his writings, states, nearly one in four pregnancies in the United States ends in abortion. About 1.7 million abortions are done annually, with nearly one-eighth during the second or third trimester. 93% of the time, there is no special case. A mother whose life is threatened, a rape or incest victim, or a child with predictions of health problems. You know, they're even doing stuff like late-term abortions, where, where uh, a portion of the, of the baby will, will be delivered, and then they'll basically kill them right then and there. So, God hates abortion. God hates abortion. And there's two, two scriptures in particular that attest to this fact. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It's part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. And then Psalms chapter 127, verse 3. Psalms chapter 127, verse 3. It says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And here are some stats for you. Some of you may have heard this before, but it says at 18 days after conception, the heart beats on its own. Man, you ever think about that? Just a miracle of a a baby just forming and and being born. And and they can have the nerve to try to kill something that happens like that. That's ridiculous. That's just crazy to to even fathom. But that's what, what, you know, sin does to you. It warps your thinking. So 18 days after conception, the heart beats on its own. At six weeks, the fetus quickly moves in the womb. Brain waves are present at eight weeks, and the child grabs, swims freely, and heartbeat is measurable. I wish I remember how to swim, because I forgot. Um, <laughs> I can sink freely. All right. <laughs> uh, at 12 weeks, the baby cries, sucks its thumb, sleeps, and wakes. All organs and system functions, including mental. The unborn infant can definitely feel pain. From this point on, nothing new develops. There is just growth and a maturing process. And that's at 12 weeks. So abortion will invite God's wrath. Abortion will invite God's wrath. The Bible plainly tells us that shedding innocent blood can bring wrath upon an individual or a nation. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 3 through 4. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 3 through 4 says, Surely at the commandment of the Lord came came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. And then Psalms chapter 106, verses 37 and 38. It says, Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, And the land was polluted with blood. The land was polluted with blood. The fourth thing that the Lord hates is a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. So here's the definition of deviseth. The Hebrew word for deviseth means something that is done in secrecy or subtly. Secrecy or subtly. In other words, if somebody is devising something, they are creating a sneaky plan. A sneaky plan. 
The world's view of this is seen in Thomas Carlyle's statement, he who has a secret should not only hide it, but hide that he has to hide it. So, what are wicked imaginations? Basically, wicked imaginations are thoughts of iniquity and evil. Thoughts of iniquity and evil. We realize that there are evil thoughts in the hearts of all men. How many of you in here have never uh, thought something evil? Good, nobody's lying. (laughs) Good job. Trick question, huh? (laughs) Amen. But when an individual begins to devise and plan out evil acts that give uh, evil acts, it gives control over to Satan and he becomes abhorrent to God. You know, people that do these crazy murders and, and whatever, you know, you hear all these crazy stories. If you're uh, looking at these, you know, these, these shows and stuff, and some of you need to stop looking at it because it can mess with your mind here. But, you know, they, they just don't think of that stuff overnight. You know, that, that stuff is divide. That stuff is thought of. You know, they, they have to think of a plan, and, and that's the kind of stuff that we're, we're talking about here. Um, number four, these occur when we fulfill our selfish and sinful desires. Wicked imaginations occur when we fulfill our selfish and sinful desires. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 states this. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Maxie Dunham said this, We must be careful what we bury in our hearts. To bury something does not mean it is dead. It simply means we have buried something alive that will devour and destroy us from within. We have to get that stuff out. Because, I mean, it's gonna, you bury something that's alive, eventually it's going to grow. Right? Like a seed or, a, you know, a, uh, yeah, seed. We are admonished by the Apostle Paul as to what we should do with these types of thoughts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, <coughs> excuse me, it says this, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It is not wrong to stand up against any evil thought that may enter your mind. And, there, and you got to realize this, too. There's a difference between a thought and what you think. Because what you think is what you're thinking, is what you, you're purposely dwelling on. But, but sometimes a, a thought is something that can just pop in your head all of a sudden. You ever had a thought come in your mind? Like, ooh, where did that, where did that come from? You know? But that doesn't mean you have to dwell on it. All right? And it's, not, it's, it's okay to stand up against an evil thought. It's okay to say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. You know, we got to start pleading the blood on our minds so this junk won't enter into our minds. So we can, the Bible says, he, if you keep your mind on God, he'll keep you in perfect peace. Perfect peace. A lot of us are all distressed and, and, and messed up and just feel out of whack because we're thinking about all this junk that we shouldn't be thinking about. Amen? But if we keep our mind on Jesus, keep our mind on Jesus, we'll feel peace regardless of what's going on around us. It didn't say keep your mind on your problems or keep your mind on your issues. It says keep your mind on Jesus. So the fifth thing that the Lord hates, feet that are quick to spread evil. Feet that are quick to spread evil. When the eyes, the tongue, the hands, and the intellect are rushing towards sin, the feet are sure to follow. They'll follow right behind. This speaks of feet that move quickly, feet that move quickly to carry out what has already been devised in the heart. The feet have no choice because so much of the body is consumed. As you can see more and more of the persons, as you can see, more and more of the person becomes committed to sin. You ever heard that saying, you give the devil an inch, he'll be the ruler, yes. Or if you give the devil an inch, he'll take, he'll take a mile, yes. Yeah. So, what, when that happens, sin controls more and more of their being. There's a song that said, um, 
by casting crowns, it said, There's a, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It doesn't happen overnight, but it, it, takes, it takes time, and eventually, you know, somebody, they'll, they'll start dabbling into something, and eventually it'll, start, it'll take over them if they don't do something about it, and eventually they're, you don't see them again. So the result is that we willingly rush toward sin. We willingly rush towards sin, and we find ourselves doing things we never thought we would do. Man, there's people who, have, who are in, in places, you know, just crazy places, and they, they, sure, they tell themselves, I never thought I would, would have dabbled, you know, or, or gone this far. I never thought I would have gone this far. You see that a lot with drugs. They try a little bit, and next thing you know, they're a drug addict. So our actions are based upon the desires of our hearts and the words of our tongue. The desires of our hearts and the words of our tongues. And then at this point, we are almost completely committed to sin. But thank God for his grace, amen? We live in a strange society. This, is, this was said by Irma Bombeck. We live in a strange society where we make documentaries of ser serial killers, movie idols out of organized crime members, authors out of political crooks, and role models out of criminals who beat the system. I don't know when, the, when crime went from being news to entertainment, but somehow it's made the transition. And when I read this, I stopped, to thought, stopped and, and thought, and I was like, man, that's really true. You know, you, you don't see, you know, people who, who do these mass murderers or commit these heinous crimes. They're all over the TV, right? But people who, who do good, you have to really search the Internet to find that story. It's not readily available, you know, on the news. So the sixth thing that the Lord hates is a false witness that speaks lies. A false witness that speaketh lies. And what this means, it literally means to blow out or breathe out lies. <laughs> There's some people you just don't, you never know when they're telling the truth. You know, they, they have all these stories and it's kind of hard to decipher. It's almost like they're blowing out or breathing out lies. It sort of puts you in mind, in the mind of hot air, doesn't it? It actually encompasses uh, two sins of the tongue. This encompasses two sins of the tongue. Number one, making fictitious or totally false statements. Fictitious or totally false statements. And then number two, taking the truth and altering it in some way so as to change the meaning entirely. I know when I, was, when I got in trouble, man, I used to do that all the time. Try to make myself look better. <laughs> I guess I was the only one. <laughs> So the first one spins or makes up the truth, spins, and then the second one paints or recolors the truth. And it's interesting to note that two of the seven things which God hates deals with the tongue because the tongue is so powerful. In the, new, in the new doublespeak by William Lutz, he, re, he redefines the following terms. Recession is a meaningful downturn in an aggregate output. Kickback is after-sales service. Trash dump is a resource development park. Stolen goods are temporarily displaced inventory. Lying is strategic misrepresentation or reality augmentation. <laughs> this is just repainted. Politically correct. A church member was heard to say, by the time my outpatient surgery got to the end of the prayer chain, I had my legs amputated, died, and left 100000 to the building fund. <laughs> What's wrong with a little exaggeration? Kind of like what I said earlier, Martin Luther once said, it lies like a snowball. The longer it's rolled on the ground, the bigger it becomes. And Mark Twain put it like this, one of the striking differences between a cat and a lie is a cat only has nine lives. Some of y'all didn't get that. <laughs> it's okay. It took me a second to. 
So God hates this use of the tongue. So never forget that it is the tongue that is used to vocally express praise to God. When that same tongue is used to falsely accuse or to lie about another human being, then we have perverted its purpose. That wasn't the purpose of our tongue, right? It was to give praise to God, give glory to God. So such use of the tongue will hinder our pure vocal expression of worship. It will hinder our pure vocal expression of worship. So James chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, it states this, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same time sweet water and bitter water? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So here the writer correlates our proper use of the tongue to the possession of wisdom. To the possession of wisdom. And the wise person maintains proper control over their tongue. You know, I, I, I have to pray to God. God, help me not to say what I feel sometimes. Amen? Because it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be a proper use of my tongue. Amen? So the last thing that the Lord hates, he that soweth discord among the brethren. He that soweth discord among the brethren. This seventh thing which God hates has a special emphasis. The Bible says seven, or the seventh, is an abomination to him. An abomination is something which God hates. An abomination is something which God hates. This passage is saying that all of that that of all the human traits that God hates, the worst is stirring up trouble in the church. Mm. Am I speaking to anybody tonight? Hopefully not. <laughs> like Pat says, well, well, or Levi. <laughs> so sin has reached its conclusion at this point. The sin that started with the pride, or the eyes, has progressed through evil words, the tongue, the actions, hands, the intellect, mind, The actions, feet, am I going too fast? <laughs> All right, so the sin that started with the pride, this is number one, started with the pride, the eyes, has progressed through evil words, the tongue, the actions, or hands, the intellect, the mind, the actions, the feet, does everybody have that? Awesome, awesome. And then more lies, more lies, and that's the tongue again. Until finally, by manifesting the ultimate trait that God finds detestable, we find the person doing all they can to stir up dissension in the church. That is, I feel in the spirit, some of you need to know how to spell that. That is D-I-S-S-E-N-S-I-O-N. D-I-S-S-E-N-S-I-O-N. And by the time a person has cultivated the first six things into their lives, they have encompassed their entire being. What's that saying? Sin is pretty much taking them over. It's taking them over. And all that is left 
for them now is to turn to someone else and try to destroy them as well. So sin has encompassed their entire being. All that's left is for them to turn to somebody else and try to destroy them. So this scripture in particular is descriptive. So the word soweth, it means this, takes thought, planning, and action. Thought, planning, and action with an expected result in mind. Thought, planning, and action with an expected result in mind. The sower knows in the beginning what they are hoping to accomplish. This is not a surprise. This this is not something that just hit them in the uh, face all of a sudden. And then the second word here is discord. So so with discord. So the second word, discord. It is not that it is wrong to think, act, and plan, and even to expect a harvest. Of course, that's, that's right. We should plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But the issue is with what is being sown. And here the sower is planting the seeds of discord. And discord means strife, discontentment, questionings. So the sower is planting the seeds of discord, and discord means strife, discontentment, and questionings. So God desires his people to be united not divided. United, not divided. You know, the old saying, the word unity starts with you and I. Psalms chapter 133, verses 1 through 3, says, Behold, how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then it has an exclamation point. There it is. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So, in this passage, God ties unity to good feelings among the brethren, the anointing, and the blessing of life. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It does, it really does feel good to be in unity with each other, to be on the same page with each other. Amen. So, in conclusion, how can we guard against allowing the things which God hates into our lives? How can we not allow that stuff in our lives? So, number one, I'm gonna go quick here because we got five minutes. We're about to about to end here. So number one, through prayer, through prayer, examination, confession, and commitment. Examination, confession, confession, and commitment. If you need, if you need these, just come back to me afterwards, and I'll, I'll give them to you um, after we dismiss. Number two, know the word. Know the word. Psalms chapter 119, verse 11, it says this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalms 119, 11. Number three, make no compromise. Make no compromise. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So make no compromise. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And then lastly here, live by grace. Live by grace. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 says this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So, you know, the, the, you know sin is running rapid more than ever before, but we have to stand up to sin, and we got to say no to sin. We can't let this stuff rule and reign in our lives, and if we are having troubles, we have to, we have to confess, and we have to allow God to, to move and work in our lives. Amen. We can't, if we, men, if we expect to lead our families, we can't be dabbling in this, in this stuff and then try to act like everything is okay. We have to do something about the sin that's in our lives. Amen. 
before it overtakes us. But just thankful that God is still allowing us to, to live and breathe and have another chance to, to move closer to him. Because he could have took us out a long time ago. He really could. So I'm just thankful for a God that, that will allow us to, to, to try to move forward and to try to right our wrongs and fix our wrongs and, you know, before he either comes back or before it's our time. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. And maybe our prayer, you know, until the next, until next Thursday can be, Lord, help me to hate the things that you hate. Help me to get a strong hate for those things. Help me to, to, to not even entertain them whatsoever, but to stand up to that stuff. Amen. Amen. So uh, before we pray, let's, you know, the altar, the, the altars are here, but the offering plate is in the back. So be sure to uh, give, give any offering. If you got tithes, you got paid today or earlier this week, or if you wasn't here last Sunday and wasn't able to pay them yet. Put your offering in the offering plate, um, and then keep, keep what, what is it? Oh, the answer sheet, Elder Dummett has put it over here in the, your back right-hand corner on that, on that circular table. Um, also, keep the, um, the youth and uh, pastor, uh, Michelle and Archie, everybody that went to NAYC, North American Youth Congress, keep them in prayer. Caitlin, keep them, keep them in prayer that God's hand will be upon them. Um, as they travel back, and again, that they'll get, they'll get a blessing. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for, for your, your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you will help each and every one of us draw closer to you and to, to, to learn to hate the things that you hate, to learn to, to detest the things that you uh, detest. And I pray that so that we could become more like you, Jesus, and that we can uh, be more effective to, you know, in your kingdom, Lord. And I pray right now, Lord, that you'll, that you'll touch those that are at North American Youth Congress, that that you'll just bless them tonight as they are preparing for service. We pray, Lord, that you will be done in their lives and that they'll come back changed, refreshed, and renewed. And we pray that you'll keep your hand of protection upon them as they travel back um, on Saturday. And, Lord, we pray that you'll bless the offering, use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. And we pray that you'll keep your hand of protection upon every person that leaves this church today. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say. Amen. Amen. Are there any announcements that need to be made? Can anybody think of anything?